Welcome to the Long-Term Care Chronicles podcast. Carol, and I just wanted to thank you for coming on to the Long-Term Care Chronicles. And before we start, I just wanted you to take a moment for our listeners to learn a little bit about yourself and your group, the Network for Advocacy. Good morning. Our long-term care uh, group, it's a family council group that um, had formed uh, many years ago, at least 12. And it's uh, a network across uh, uh, Hamilton, Niagara, Burlington, up to um, Simcoe area. And we have the largest one uh, as far as a network in in Ontario. The other big one is uh, the Champlain in the Ottawa area. Yes, But it's families that uh, speak up for residents that are in long-term care. And um, a lot of them can't speak for themselves so that we do. And the aim is to make life better inside the nursing home. But it's also to give that networking piece to families to stay together and to share ideas. Oh, great. Thank you so much for that. And I didn't realize it was since uh, for a good number of years that you have been around. So right now, your group is working on a number of call to actions. And firstly, um, you have the first one that you have is the it's, you're asking your membership to provide feedback to the Liberal Party provincially. Um, why are you in support of this particular feedback? Well, it's not just the Liberal Party, it's uh, the Green Party, the NDP have been very supportive as well as the Liberals. Um, but it because um, healthcare and now long-term care split off as a separate ministry relies very much on the funding and it's driven by the government, we have had to uh, turn and look at the government funding and um, it's been a problem across all of the, all of the parties for decades now. And unfortunately, the seniors have been at the bottom of the value pile. And so when the Liberals uh, started to make some action and putting into into part of their policy uh, statements about long-term care, we wanted more people to support them because we need everybody to listen to the various parties and to throw their support uh, behind this so that the people with the pens that uh, can sign off the funds listen because they're hearing from more and more and more people that the need is there. I understand being in the political life, you have all kinds of people with their hands out asking for money for fixing potholes for the infrastructure for education. Uh, Everybody has a need, especially in this last uh, year of uh, awfulness uh, with employment and staying safe from one another. But we also need to know that this has been an ignored area for a long time and it it can't stay any longer. The lack of support and funding and infrastructure in long-term care led them to be a vulnerable piece when the pandemic hit and they're struggling to keep uh, afloat. Yes, I understand that the government has thrown lots of money at them to help them, but it's emergency money. What we're looking for is sustainable, long-term, let's fix this broken system. And I want to see the government putting money into it long-term, into the long-term. 
and, and that's what we need because it's been patchwork and we need the, the, an administrator to run a home needs sustainable funding so he can plan effectively. And um, it, it's one of those things that it's not just supporting the Liberal Party, but it's letting people know that the Liberal Party is one of the ones that have this in their statement. Thank you for that clarification. I appreciate that. And I know that the second call to action you have is for the support for Bill 13, which is the Time to Care Act, which is currently in committee. And how are you going about that at the moment? Well, the only tool that uh, most advocacy committees have left right now in a majority government is to uh, email, talk to, write letters, phone the MPPs so that they understand that this piece is there. We were delighted in, in the fall to see that all the parties signed on and accepted the Time to Care Act, which has been up there with multiple petitions and rallies and um, statements for the past 12 years. It finally got accepted only to be put off until 2024, 25. Um, I am pleased to see the amount of money that they have assigned to it uh, in principle, but it's that step of from 2021 up through 2025 that there is like 1.9 billion, I, I believe that is assessed to get to the four hours of care by that, that time frame. I think it needs to be flipped and we need to put that up front because we've shown for years now that the, the level of care is way substandard. And I understand that uh, we are behind in staffing, which is the other big gigantic piece that's caused the problem. And there aren't people there to pay. So the budget is probably um, balanced like balls in the air of, can we educate and train people then make them available and then give them the money to support people as they come in. But until we have a better working environment, people are gonna be shy about going to that education, going to that work, because we know a lot of people go into long-term care. They're there for a couple of weeks and go, oh my goodness, this is what I have to do every day and they leave. So we have to do the two together and they need that sustainable funding at the front end so I would like to see them turn it around. I, I hope that there is more strength in the long-term commission that's coming out this month uh, to support their interim uh, um, recommendations that covered the staffing and the four hours. And yes, I know it's a lot of money, but it, we also had a lot of deaths and a lot of ill people and ill and not well cared for even if they didn't have COVID because there wasn't enough hands. And then the essential caregivers and the, and the families were kept out to make it even worse. So we've got lack of care, mental health issues on top of the fight with COVID. Exactly. Thank you for, so much for speaking with that, about that. And the family council just in general and that this is where families can go to, you know, to advocate for their particular facility or join a group like yours for your facility and for like, why is this so important? Well, families, when they got locked out, were feeling awful. But even before, uh, over the past few years, there, there's a lot and a growing number of people that are speaking for the seniors that are in long-term care. 
Family Councils of Ontario does a phenomenal job with education and support and having a, a seat at the table at the government for making changes. What we provide is a network for our local area and our local area is growing because the, it started off our, our, our name is Family Council Network 4 based on the old Lynn 4 um, uh, geographical area, uh, which is changing and, and slowly. Um, and it will probably change again as the health teams get going. But um, there's been people that are outside of our, our little geographical catchment area that have asked to join. And it's mostly because of that networking. And what we do is try and share good ideas that people have tried in their uh, nursing home and it's worked. And other people have said, oh, we can, we can do that. We maybe change this and add that or make it more to the, the needs of our particular home. But the idea is to share good ideas. Um, all family councils work on a, a shoestring or no string as far as um, uh, having some kind of budget. But it's ideas that work together. Families feel supported. They have ideas that are new and different that they can go in and visit their relatives with um, or talk to the administration with because they're one of the, the key things that we found all along is that there is inconsistency, both from what they're hearing from the government and then what different agencies are putting into place. And while we were on a call, uh, like we have um, at least three to four regional meetings a year, which we've pivoted to Zoom because nobody can yes. meet together. But um, we were talking about the different rules, especially last year when everybody was locked out and then they started to let a little bit in or you could do window visits or out in the patio if it was not too raining or snowing. But one uh, particular person ha has relatives in four different long-term care homes that she travels to to visit. And she had four different rules that she had to listen to and abide by in order to visit. And she just said, why? Why are they so different when we are providing the same care and working under the same directives that kept coming out and changing and uh, administrators were, were scrambling to make those directives work within their boundaries, within their staffing limits. And yes, it's hard to have your staff looking after residents with all the PPE uh, legislation that's there, uh, not knowing how to do infection control. And then you got these visitors coming in who know even less and you have to train them and I don't have train, so it's easier to keep them out. But then we ended up with all of the, the depression and lack of activity and that sort of thing that's there. So trying to share ideas and um, the network is there to help share ideas and and support one another and to listen. A lot of times it, um, our, our sessions have not become uh, just a complaint, but it's an area to vent and to, and to highlight. And we use those to be able to say, this is the common thread that's happening across uh, the province. This is the common thread, especially in our area, but listening to other networks so that we can make sure that when we do go to our MPPs and to the long-term care table, yeah. we can say, this is common problems. This is why we're saying we need the support that we're asking for. It's not just because a few people are whining about lack of care or that they expect, but yes. this is a common problem. 
and this is something that your money will uh, be well used. Exactly. Thank you so much for that. And then with the, as you mentioned, the Ontario Long-Term Care Commission, um, they did give out an interim report back in October of 2020. And you had spoken to that and, and you're, you said that as well, your group and others have spoken about some of those you know, interim recommendations for years. Do you think that the commission will have a real impact in their final report later on this month? And um, if you could just speak to some of those recommendations that the commission has highlighted and that your group has been speaking about as well. All of their recommendations were uh, identical and right along in our values and things that we've been asking for. It uh, paralleled many of the 93 recommendations that came out from the safety issue that uh, uh, Professor Armstrong issued a long time ago. And all of them have been needed for decades uh, so that there is a, a very deep research that's available to say why these are necessary. There is report after report. And I love the line in the commission's interim report that we know it's been studied to death. We don't need a study to study it. We need action now. And those are the exact words that we've been saying. So there was some discomfort when it wasn't a, a full commission and uh, uh, looking at what's going on and it was maintained within the provincial government's uh, lead. I certain, they, they did listen to a lot of people. They invited across the province, lots of people uh, and groups to voice their opinion. It was hard to get a, a table, an invite to the table because so many people wanted to speak. So I, I really hope that their report is as um, strongly worded as their interim report was and that it is listened to and that it is widely shared across the media and across all pieces uh, of the government. Um, when we were looking at the Time to Care Act over the, over the 12 years, and I forgot the number of times, the number of um, bills that it's been labeled from 113 to 13, to, yes. it's, it's been presented many, many times with thousands of signatures. Um, we didn't want it to get lost again and shoved down. How, how can we support and make sure that people hear this? because um, it's those stories that get to the MPPs of what's happening, the real things that are a problem with um, the care that's happening with the residents, but it's the care that the um, essential care partners provide. That's a lot of unpaid hours that without us there, they can't do it. There is yes. uh, the effect on the staff that the families see daily and under, see their tears, see their fatigue. It's not just uh, those people in ICU that are, are really suffering with the code of cares right now. It, it's been going on a long time in long-term care. And we need to make sure that that is seen and that is protected. Um, there's a, a, an election coming up next year. Yes. It'll probably be in every one of the political platforms, but who's gonna make it real? who's going to bring it forward. Um, the Long-Term Care Commission, they asked for a, an extension in their reporting time so that it could be probably a more robust report or that they um, were able to hear everybody that they promised to listen to. 
So I'm, I'm hoping that, uh, that since it is going to come out this month and not, they yes. weren't given uh, any extension, that it is powerful, that it is listened to at that long-term care table and that they do support it and not just in words and not over the long period of time. Yeah, thank you so much for that. And right now your, your group is, is monitoring the impact of Bill 218, which is supporting Ontario's Recovery and Municipal Elections Act 2020. Can you just let our listeners know the importance of this and why that you are monitoring this particular bill? Um, well, it, it, it's just uh, another example of how um, the, the various bills got changed and there was a lot of um, enactments that were hidden under one large bill and things got changed and people were going, where did that come from? It was buried on page 962 of the previous one. And, and there was a lot of things that came out so that it seemed every time you turned around, there was a limitation in, in what people could do. Um, and there, there seems to be a strengthening of the privatization of long-term care. There's a limit on what um, the cap on um, uh, salaries for various people. And it's not fair between the private, the municipal and the um, not-for-profit groups so that they end up competing for PSWs, which are a rare breed right now anyway, but people are starting to jump and go from one sector to another uh, home care is starving as much as long-term care is. Uh, RPNs are starting to look at getting out of long-term care and going to the hospitals because they, they see that as a better pay and more protection. Uh, and um, they're getting more benefits as, as well, which isn't always there in the long-term care sector. Um, administrators who have been slugging through this uh, COVID pandemic um, restrictions are, are fatigued. They're starting to leave and where is the talent uh, that will replace them and come into long-term care because there is the salary and the prestige difference, which is unfortunate. People don't know the value that there is in working in long-term care and the, the strength that uh, a manager or a director or an administrator needs and the talent that is there. Uh, they're not given the credit that they deserve. So it's, it's all of these things put together to see um, long-term care is pushed down, pushed down, pushed down, and there seems to be a little door put up at each one. Carol. Yeah. Uh, and thank speaking, you for reaching out. Yeah. Not a problem at all, but I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you again for your time. Thank you.